0: Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. Life as we know it is slowly but steadily returning to normal. COVID-19 restrictions are being lifted, vaccines are being given out at a rapid rate, and jobs are slowly returning to normal. One thing that has become the new normal is online presence. We talk, work, socialize, and engage in entertainment online on a daily basis. This week's metaphor, That's Not PC, relates to our online activity and shows that what we say, be it in person or online, will always have an impact. Our guest this week, Dr. Karen Stolznow, highlights these exact thoughts. Although this metaphor sounds primarily to do with online communication, it also has an effect in modern-day society as we know it. Now, what springs to mind when you think of a metaphor like that's not pc maybe online safety or talking well of your fellow peers well in this segment we'll dive into the history and the main vocal point of this metaphor in modern day society that's not pc political correctness gone mad these are phrases we've all heard at some point or another and have probably cringed at them too there's an ongoing war on political correctness with all of us having some kind of feeling as to which side of the fence we sit on.
1: But a new poll found that 71% of Americans say that being PC has silenced discussions we need to be having.
0: To be politically correct is to pick words that avoid belittling, insulting or harming those who belong to an oppressed group. Oppressed groups are those who encounter prejudice, disrespect or discrimination due to their race, sexual orientation, physical ability or other inherent and uncontrollable factor. Political correctness aims to tackle language which has become ingrained in our everyday vernacular. The reason as to why it's political is because it aims to create social change and it really does. The term is not usually used seriously, stereotypically by more conservative groups to criticize supposed oversensitivity. However, it might surprise you to know that it entered common use due to the American left using the term as self-critical satire. In 1970, African-American author Tony Cade Bambara published an essay titled The Black Woman, an Anthology. In the work, she stated that a man cannot be politically correct and a chauvinist too, The New Left of the 70s then adopted the term, wanting to distinguish themselves from the Old Left. Here's an excerpt from a special report about the New Left that came out in 1967.
1: To understand the New Left, it's necessary to understand their view of what's happened in the last decade. The key was the drive for civil rights, and it pulled together all the loose elements of young radicalism. And if any single event marked the beginning of the movement, It was in the summer of 1960, and it all began with an attempt to buy a cup of coffee. Four college freshmen, all Negroes, were refused service at a Greensboro, North Carolina lunch counter, and the Civil Rights sit-in was born. Television pictures of students mauled by mobs and manhandled by police stirred campus feelings from one end of the country to the other. The silent generation had found a cause, or, as some put it, A moral equivalent of war.
0: This new term helped the new left point out PC madness, such as whether to keep the word man in, manhole, as opposed to real social debates of the time, like the implementation of affirmative action policies. Isn't it interesting that this seemingly serious phrase has roots in it being used not so seriously? those who don't agree with the idea of political correctness are often coming from a more conservative side of the political scale. It's not to say that conservatives don't believe that racism, sexism or any other ism exists, but that we currently live in a world where society is inherently good. There is no denying that we've come a long way since the 50s and now it's frowned upon to use derogatory slurs. Isn't that good enough? Here's President Trump speaking about his understanding of PC culture.
1: I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been... I've been challenged by so many people and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. This country is in big trouble. We don't win anymore. We lose to China. We lose to Mexico, both in trade and at the border. We lose to everybody. And frankly, what I say, and oftentimes it's fun, it's kidding, we have a good time. What I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sure we've all heard of extreme cases, which has made us question whether PC culture has really gone mad. Like when the term brainstorm was deemed too offensive and should be replaced with thought showers. Or when a Welsh city council changed a popular British dessert on their menu to the name Spotted Richard to prevent unnecessary sniggers. Did you know that? However, these overblown stories simply makes the job harder for those fighting for real social change. It takes away the focus from actual issues, which echoes how the new left of the 70s first started using the term. Please note that epilepsy charities have since clarified that the word brainstorm can be used, but it totally depends on the context, which makes complete sense. Here is British comedian Stuart Lee illustrating the point.
1: But on the whole, when, when people say political correctness has gone mad, I think, well, what do you, what do you mean? And this is my nan, right? And my nan says to me, oh, Stu, that political correctness has gone mad. <laughs> I go, why is that nan? She goes, well, I was in the hairdressers yesterday, Stu, and they said to me, would you like a cup of tea, Mrs. Harris? I said, yes, please. They said, well, you can have one, but you have to drink it in the waiting area because we can't have hot liquids at the workstation. <laughs> it's political correctness gone mad, Stuart. <laughs> it's old Red Robbo, Stewie he, saying that we can't have tea anymore in case it annoys a Pakistani. <laughs> Basically, there's a whole generation of people who've confused political correctness with health and safety legislation.
0: PC culture has, in fact, pushed for real change in our use of language. I'm sure you can think of a few offensive terms that have become simply that, offensive. However, with the want to remove these words from our everyday use, those who have been harmed by them have been able to reinstate them in a different way. The word wog in Australia was once a purely harmful term to describe southern Europeans and middle easterners in the 1980s a play called Wogs Out of Work created by Nick Yiannopoulos, Simon Palomares and Maria Portesi gained immense popularity on the island It spawned several spin-offs such as Wog Boys and Star Wogs. As you may have noticed, the original show was created by Australians of southern European descent. The term had lost its power due to the changing socio-economic status of this group. The play then allowed for the word to be repurposed in a way that it was okay to laugh at. In fact, Nick Yiannopoulos, who you'll hear now, trademarked the term barring any other comedian from using it for their own promotion.
1: Where do you think you're going? If you must know, I'm going into the kitchen to fix your bloody tap. Tap? You're not putting your greasy wog hands on my tap?
0: (laughs) (laughs) To have an Aussie
1: call an Italian wog on television and to turn it into comedy, I thought was unique. It made me think, wow, if you can get away with that, then imagine the possibilities
2: found out so quickly about
1: this show. The show sold out so we had to extend and in that third week once we extended the word had got out my happiest moment was when I heard that Manaro car horn outside the (singing) theatre because the wogs from the suburbs had arrived.
0: The word wog is still hurtful when used in its original sense there's no denying that but it has also found its way back into Australian vernacular. Harmful words like this have to be off limits for a period of time to really enforce the damage they can do. But when the oppressed groups are able to climb socially, the once weapon is able to fall back into use and a lot less seriously. Derogatory slurs in regards to Australian Aborigines have not yet encountered this phenomenon, but this is because racism against them is still rife. Whether you agree with PC culture or not, hopefully you understand a little better as to when it is and isn't valuable. With terms like woke and snowflake having recently entered everyday use, it's a sentiment that isn't going any time soon. Thank you for joining us on Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome your book on the offensive prejudice in language past and present why do you think that this is the right time to release a book like this well unfortunately
2: i think it's always the right time to release a book about um, prejudice in language and language and prejudice in society because the topics that i treat sexism racism ageism ableism these are things that are around us all the time so whether it was 10 years ago, uh, if I released the book 10 years ago which is when I was actually doing a a similar book for my PhD uh, and and whether I release it now or in the future, unfortunately all of these things are still around us and and it's always relevant to be looking at how and and why language can be offensive to various groups of people.
0: Mm. So what prompted you to write the book?
2: Um, well, I I looked at prejudice and discrimination and inequality in language for my my PhD in linguistics, and uh, it so it's a very dull, dry academic tome. And I actually did release a version of that, and no one wants to read about approaches and methodologies and things like that. So I thought I wanted to write something that was more more of a popular version, something that could be accessible to the general public that that everyone would be interested in, in reading about that could really approach, be approachable for, for everyone. Uh, so that, that's why I wanted to write a different version of the book and I just think it's so topical right now with everything that's happening uh, with the, the Black Lives movement and systemic racism and uh, people are gaining a lot more awareness into these topics. And so I think it's, it's just a good time to,
0: to be writing about this. It's always a good time. <laughs> so what's, what's the kind of common thread that's going through language where it's like, people do this and they say this and that's just so wrong. Is there a common thread and is there a way of how we can work around making it sound better?
2: Um, well, I think that we, we really grow up with a lot of these words. And on, on every page of the book, I'm looking at words that are offensive. So there are hundreds, thousands of examples in there. But I think a lot of this language is normalized. Um, uh, the way that we talk about age uh, with, with ageist language uh, a lot of the the themes are, are really normalized into us from from childhood uh, and uh, a lot of terms that, that people use that uh, can be considered to be racist or, or sexist they're the terms that we pick up when we're very young and then we do carry them through and I think that a lot of these things have changed too if we look at racism, 50 years ago, it's very different to the way it is today, but it's still around. You'll get a lot of people who will say, oh, we live in a post-racial society. Racism doesn't exist. Of course Mm -hmm. it does. It's still around. It has changed and evolved in many ways, but uh, certainly uh, these things are still around. So as for a a running theme through all of them, I think uh, there's just, there's a, a lot of language is uh, can be very overtly offensive so insults and slurs uh, for example the the n-word if someone says that then we know that's that's offensive we don't use that word Uh, but then there are other terms which are, are more covertly offensive we don't recognize on the surface that that can be offensive and I think that's because if it doesn't affect us then we might not see it as being offensive and that we should try to be sensitive to other people and and to listen to them when they they tell us what's offensive to them.
0: Mm. Is there a way of knowing when we have offended someone? Because not everyone's perception, everyone's how you you accept or perceive it, you don't show it. That's a really good question. And
2: I think that sometimes people will say, oh, that's offensive or you've offended me. Uh, But I think with the the culture that we have, it's often seen as being weak or too sensitive to express yourself and to say, I'm offended. So uh, people will often internalize it. I know growing up, I would experience a lot of sexism. And I think, oh, I didn't like what was just said to me, or I'm uncomfortable. That, That makes me feel something bad. But you don't challenge it in the moment. You just kind of wear it and internalize it so I think sometimes people are going to be overt in in their expression and tell you how they feel and other times they might not they might just not talk to you again um, or they and again it depends on the context if it's it's something in an email or if it's face-to-face but uh, it's just going to vary depending on the person as to whether they say something or not they might go away and think about it too I think that's something I do I'll walk away and think well why did that make me feel bad and and then realize oh that that comment was sexist, and I just didn't see it on the surface of things, or that comment was ageist, and that kind of
0: thing. How deeply can something like that affect someone? You know, a comment on uh, sexism or racism? How uh,
2: think I, I think when we talk about something personally offending us, I think that that really goes to our core. It's uh, saying something negative about a, a core part of us a fundamental part whether it's the color of your skin or it's your gender or it's your sexuality uh, or whether you have a, a disability uh, or the just something something like that that is uh, just such a core part of our being and so to be to have something said to you it can really hurt. I mean we talk about uh, being offended in terms of pain, feeling pain, feeling hurt, uh, you know something really, affecting us on a physical level. So when people say things like, oh, that they're only words, just words, Um, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones. Words can never hurt me. Words absolutely can hurt people. And it can uh, be the kind of thing, something someone says to you, you can really carry that through your entire life. It can affect your your confidence. It can affect everything uh, about you on a fundamental level. So it is something to really address. I think that everyone has a has an Achilles heel, everyone has a sore spot, whether uh, they're concerned about someone treating them with sexism or with ageism, I think that uh, everyone's gonna be affected in some way and everyone wants other people to be sensitive to them. So really it's just a matter of trying to to be sensitive to others in the way that we want people to be sensitive towards us.
0: Mm. I mean, you've touched there on our metaphor, it's not PC Uh, and a lot of people, When they say it, I think they say it in a way that is more business-like, more formal than an emotional response. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think that the term PC language, politically correct language, political correctness is is really interesting because in this entire book, it's over 100,000 words. I mentioned PC maybe once or twice. So uh, I had to really think about that in a book that's about offensive language. Why did I talk about political correctness so rarely? And I think that that's because the term has negative connotations. So uh, often it has a political slant. So it might be used by the right against the left, or by the by the left it might be might be used by them. But um, I think that. Uh, it has negative connotations and people think that if you use PC language that you are censoring language or you're manipulating language or you're being weak or you're being overly sensitive or overly emotional. So I think the term is just, even though uh, it it can be used in a positive way, and I think when we're talking about that's not PC with that particular phrase, I think that we're really pointing the finger at someone and saying what you said is, is wrong, it's unfair, it's impolite, Uh, it's offensive and you shouldn't use that kind of language. So I do think it is kind of calling out bad behavior. And I think it gives more of a positive slant to politically correct language, whereas usually it's seen as a negative thing.
0: Mm. Apart from you know being an author uh, and being a specialist in this area, you do a lot of online during this time, especially online, which is becoming of course bigger and greater due to People staying at home and working virtually, and so on. Have you ever uh, been faced with someone telling you something that you felt was insensitive, or um, something or something not? that I said that was offensive, no, or someone, someone is to you someone someone said to you within your role when you work on online that they say, well, what you just said, I completely disagree with. I think that you're you know you're wrong or,
2: have they got uh, back to you? Um. Oh yes, I mean there are certainly, for all the examples that I have in the book, there'll absolutely be people who say that's not offensive. How can you take offense to that? And I think again it's a matter of if you're not impacted by this language, if it doesn't affect you personally, then you might not be able to understand why it could be offensive to other people. So that's why we really need to, to listen to other people when someone with a disability says this particular term is ableist and uh, it's offensive to me. If we don't have a disability ourselves, we might not be able to understand why that's offensive. So uh, it's just really important to listen to people and to use their preferred terminology because definitely throughout the book, people will say that's not racist, Uh, that's not sexist. And and they're they're just not understanding the perspective of other uh, perspectives of other people.
0: How long did it take you to write the book? Oh,
2: I think it's probably been about 10 years in the making of research and just thinking about the book and about maybe two years to to write and go through revisions. And of course, there's always something happening. As soon as the book came out, uh, things start changing, new words start coming out. So this is really an ongoing topic.
0: Mm. For you personally, what did you learn That you felt you didn't you wasn't aware of it before but in all your research you've learned something?
2: Uh, I think really the the entire book was a discovery because I've certainly faced sexism being a woman and I've faced some issues of discrimination against my nationality as an Australian living in America as an immigrant but uh, really everything else uh, you know i'm I'm getting older so there are certainly some aspects of ageism that were really interesting to me and and to start reflecting on on that kind of thing when people will say oh you look great for your age so they add that qualifier and um, you know it's really something that on the surface looks like a compliment can really be a, a comment on someone being older so uh, I think certainly for me uh, aspects of, of racism and aspects of uh, homophobia, um, they're, they're things that I haven't encountered. So it, it was just very interesting and really opened my eyes to think about, to, to walk in, take a walk in someone else's shoes and think about uh, what what experiences are like for other people. And I really think that that's what the book is all about. It's about uh, trying to look at other people's perspectives, whether they're a different religion from yours or a different skin colour from yours or a different age to you, uh, that, you know, we we need to try and look at things through their eyes.
0: Are there any particular chapters in the book that you would say, read this first? You get my book, read this first.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think it's a kind of book where you wouldn't really want to sit down and read it from cover to cover. So it's not like a storybook or something like that. I think that uh, you might want to read the introduction and then take a look at the table of contents and think, well, you know, I've, I've faced sexism my whole life. I want to read the chapter on sexism, or uh, maybe you are uh, particularly interested in, in ageism, so you might want to go and take a look at that chapter first. So, I think it's uh, you could use the index too and just look up particular terms and uh, you know, maybe political situations and cases uh, if, if there's something in particular that you want to read. So, I think it can be uh, it certainly can be the kind of book that you could read from cover to cover if you wanted to, if you want to overall understanding of this topic, but I think it would be a great reference book to for for students or for human resources. Um, for the fact that we all we're all humans and we all deal with other humans, I think it's just gives you a a good overall uh, idea about other people's experiences and and um, how we should think before we speak.
0: Yeah, as you were speaking, I was actually thinking, where would your book best to be placed? And you mentioned this reference, but I think it's it's broader than that, isn't it? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, it's through an academic publisher. So it's through Cambridge University Press, but they have a new trade division. So I really, it was difficult to straddle that line of it being an academic book, but at the same time being a kind of popular book as well. Um, But uh, I I think I've written it in such a way that it's not heavy on terminology. I didn't want to use too much uh, linguistics terms. Um, I wanted it to be something that everyone could read and, and learn something from so uh, to, to make it accessible. So yeah, hopefully it's not going to just gather dust in the library somewhere, but that it's going to be a useful book that people can use day to day for their their lives in general.
0: <laughs> well, I think you've you know given us a really good um, review as much as you can of the book, apart from, you know, I think mean, people now, they just have to go out there and, and look for it. So how can I so. It? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I've got a copy of it here so people can see what it looks
2: like.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh. And
2: uh, <laughs> so love, people I love can- I cover. How did you come up with that design? Thank you. Uh, well, actually I was involved in that. They came up with a few designs themselves and I had a bit of a vision for it myself. You know, you see that offensive red stamp uh, on things, uh, those kind of parental advisory signs and things like that about bad mm-hmm. language. So I wanted something like that. And, and uh, we also wanted to incorporate some of the offensive terms that people might not necessarily on the surface see as being offensive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a kind of collaboration to come up with that. But you can find the book uh, through Amazon and through Barnes and Noble, uh, your local bookstore. And it'd be great if people would go into their local bookstore and ask for it as well. Um, so it just, if you look up on the offensive online, hopefully you'll find somewhere, no, no matter what country you're in, you should be able to, to get a copy of it.
0: Well, I think it's very fitting for us as well to have you, uh, with, especially with the title of your book on the offensive, because it's something that we say a lot as well. You know, you why are you on the offensive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about that. We are on the offensive. It's as you said earlier, we don't know better the way that we've, brought, we've been brought up. Sometimes we say things that, it, quite innocently that offends.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, until we can see it from someone else's perspective, it, it's hard to really get a sense of that. Uh, but, yeah, there's just so many different ways to look at offensive. Some people um, think, oh, you know, you don't give offence. Offence is taken. Uh, other people will say, oh, I, I offend everyone equally. So you certainly have that kind of attitude where people think you should toughen up and you should be stronger and you shouldn't be offended. But I guarantee you, even those people have their Achilles heel. There's something that they would find offensive no matter what group you belong to. There's something that's going to offend you. But I think in general, when it comes to politeness, people don't wanna be offensive. They don't wanna offend people. And um. so that, that's really the basis of the book. I think you you go into the book thinking I want to understand what things are like for other people. I don't want to offend people. Uh, how, how can I avoid that?
0: Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank and you, Delia. <laughs> make me start thinking as well as, the, in fact, I was thinking of a time, oh gosh, many, many, many years ago, uh, I went to Turkey and uh, got into the hotel, get upstairs, and then, of course, you have to, you know, you tip uh, the person who's brought your your luggage up for you and so I tipped them and they looked at me and they were like (laughs) and over dinner I remember saying to my partner at the time why did they look at me like that because I gave them like a million whatever it was the currency a million you know and it was only when we were leaving that I realized that that million whatever it was was only about maybe 10p or something like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I had something similar happen to me. Coming
2: yeah. from Australia, we don't really tip people. Mm-hmm. And now living in America, uh, you do tip. And usually it can be anything from 15 to 20% or, or more. Mm-hmm. And if you tip people too low, then that is a, a comment on uh, that, that you were displeased or something yes. like that. Yes. And uh, yeah, I had, I had family from Australia visit me a number of years ago. And they'd been to America maybe 20 years before. And their understanding of tipping was that it was cents on the dollar. So if something costs $9.50, you give $10. So they left a very, very small tip after we'd eaten a meal somewhere. And we had the server run out after us and chase us. and. And say, "Hey, this is <laughs> a really embarrassing tip, yeah, and yeah. and that's uh, you should be paying fifteen to twenty percent." So, yes. yeah, you yes. know, and you certainly have those cultural clashes. Yes, so and in a uh, way,
0: you, you don't set out to be offensive. Uh, yes. If you actually feel embarrassed, you know, when it happens. Oh yeah, but you've yes, there's a very someone.
2: very clear distinction, I think, between deliberately trying to be offensive and not trying to be
0: offensive. <laughs> mm. Yes, we've both had experience in that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Delia. Lovely to chat. It's almost impossible to entirely avoid offending someone or to be politically correct all of the time. That is partly because standards are constantly changing. Words are made taboo or reclaimed by minorities. A recent issue is transgender and non-binary rights. You may believe all humans are born male or female, but gender as we know it is changing. People are now able to identify as a different gender to what they were assigned at birth. This has changed the world as we know it, and although 100 years ago some of these genders wouldn't have existed, we have come to terms to accept this change. A recent addition to the trans community is Canadian actor Ellen Page, now Elliot Page, who has recently come into light as his transition into a new life has begun. And even though he has clearly changed his pronouns, interviews still haven't caught on. This is a prime example of that's not PC. One must keep their minds open and be mindful of someone's emotions as well as their past. One of our writers has a friend who is autistic. Let's call him Andy. Andy has been autistic his entire life, but only found out when he was diagnosed when he was 21. He, like everyone else on the spectrum, was born autistic and will have it for the rest of his life. It's naturally occurring and does not need to be cured. If anything, it makes him more unique. Andy is now 26 and doing rather well, but one thing he still struggles with is his identity. Autistic people fall under many umbrellas. Technically, they are disabled, neurodiverse, have a learning difficulty and have autistic spectrum disorder, ASD for short. Andy's issues go back to his school days where he would be called named by his friends. They would call him a retard and he would even say it back. There was no malice behind the words, just childish ignorance. However, now Andy is officially autistic, he says he feels somewhat offended being called a retarded now. A few years ago, he would not have been phased at all being called that word but now he doesn't like it though he's not entirely sure as to why it's still something he's trying to wrap his head around but it does relate to what our guest Karen writes in her book on how we don't choose to be offended we just feel it I think the message is simply be mindful of what you say it will never be PC to call each other names but teasing each other is just what humans do Now on to something slightly different, cancel culture. Most celebrities or aspiring influencers are extremely careful of what they say due to cancel culture. If they slip up, they will lose everything and be shunned from society. This effect of people being offended too easily is known in our society as the snowflake generation and has enabled cancel culture to become more and more provident in our society today. The idea that one individual having the power to completely alter someone's life is outstanding, yet also unnerving. A prime example of this would be James Gunn. Known for his incredible work on Guardians of the Galaxy, Gunn was unfortunate enough to come face to face with cancel culture as he was fired from his position on the Marvel film franchise. This was due to a thread of old tweets that came to service. Luckily for him, he had a variety of different A-listers who were willing to defend him and stay by his side. You said you might
3: not do it. Well, yeah, there's a bit of an issue. It's a bittersweet conversation. Um, No, it's a bitter, bitter conversation because I'm not really happy with what they've done with James Gunn. They're putting the movie off. It's on hold indefinitely. and, uh, and, And to be honest with you, I don't know if I want to work for Disney.
0: Cancel culture has its pros and its cons, but there is one area where cancel culture has had a big effect. Stand-up comedy. Being a stand-up comedian has always been one of the most difficult jobs, but more so nowadays, as we apparently live in a liberal utopia compared to, say, 50 years ago. But there is much more red tape around things we can say or laugh at. But due to a deep and sincere ideological divide we make the decision to cancel them out of our lives. I wanna suggest that cancel culture needs to change. As Tim Minchin sang, never underestimate the power that language imparts. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can break hearts.
3: I could imagine a time, and and this is a serious thing, I can imagine a time when people say, well, that's offensive to suggest that a gay person moves their hands in a flourishing motion, (laughs) and you now need to apologize. I mean, there's a creepy PC thing out there that really bothers me.
0: Although there has been a positive impact from woke culture or being socially aware amongst young people, sometimes the pursuit of equality can lose sight of what's right particularly after the Me Too movement where powerful men were exposed for sexual harassment. There has been a rising outing celebrities for their statements or actions that are no longer PC. We have seen careers ended by tweets from five to ten years ago, and we now live in a time of cancel culture. While some justice has been served, this is still reminiscent of the Salem witch hunts, where people were put on trial for witchcraft left, right, and center based on little to no evidence.
3: There is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right, or used the word, wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. i <laughs> me going to get on TV, <laughs> watch my show, watch Gronish. <laughs> um You know. That's not that's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. You know, it, it, if, if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far.
0: It really does open your eyes, doesn't it? The way our culture and personal views can now influence comedy, films and even people's jobs. On one side of the table, we have people standing sturdy and backing each other up and looking out for each other. Then on the other hand, we have other people taking great offense to the smallest of things to then cancel and ruin people's careers. If you take one single thing from this episode, take this. Be kind, be considerate and remember what you say matters and can cause a catalytic effect. Thank you so much to Dr. Karen Stolz now for opening our eyes to the effect of remaining and acting PC. It's always my pleasure to have guests like this on the show. I've learned loads and I hope you have too. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at msdelia at deliadelore.com and we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorful.com. Or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. So please subscribe. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. As always, please keep safe.